0: Okay, so I hear you like books.
1: Why, yes, I do. That's right. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. Because when you read a book as a child, it becomes part of your identity in a way that no other reading in your whole life does. And I have gotten carried away.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you have.
1: Are you seeing the books? Everything you would want to read is right here. Feel it. Feels good, right? Just smell it. Nothing, nothing smells like that. Welcome, friends, to episode 35 of Reading the New Berries, a team friendship podcast. This episode, we will be discussing the book Walk Two Moons by Sharon Creech, winner of the 1995 Newbery Medal. I am Leah, and I'm joined by my fellow podcasters, Lauren. Hello, friends. And Mandalay. What up, friends? And we are excited to be talking about this newer Newberry book. I definitely enjoyed it, and we can talk about um, what other authors this one reminded us of. But before we get into all of that fun stuff, Lauren, would you like to just give us a little blurb about this book?
2: Sure. I'm just going to be reading from the inside flap of my copy of the book. Thirteen-year-old Salamanca Treehiddle, proud of her country roots and the Indianness in her blood, travels from Ohio to Idaho with her eccentric grandparents. Along the way, she tells them of the story of Phoebe Winterbottom, who received mysterious messages, who met a potential lunatic, and whose mother disappeared. Beneath Phoebe's story is Salamanca's own story, and that of her mother, who left one April morning for Idaho, promising to return before the tulips bloomed. Sal's mother has not, however, returned, and the trip to Idaho takes on a growing urgency as Salamanca hopes to get to Idaho in time for her mother's birthday and bring her back, despite her father's warning that she is fishing in the air. This richly layered novel is in turn funny, mysterious, and touching. Sharon Creech's original voice tells a story like no other, one that
1: readers will not soon forget. That was very true. This is one of those books that there's just several things that I think will always be kind of stuck away in my head.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Mandy, Mandy, will you inform us a little bit about Miss Sharon Creech? I would love to. <laughs> it's
0: a fun last name. <laughs> it is. I keep wanting to say like Screech because it's like it's not that. It's not Sharon. That. Anywho, <laughs> uh, she was born in South Euclid, Ohio, on July twenty ninth, nineteen forty five. Uh, she would often visit her cousins in Quincy Lewis County, Kentucky which was in many of her books as the fictional Bybanks, Kentucky. Uh, She became interested in storytelling after taking literature and writing courses in college. Sharon became a teacher of secondary school English and writing in England and Switzerland. Her first children's novel, Absolutely Normal Chaos was published only in the UK in 1990 and was later published in the U.S. in 1995. It featured a 13-year-old girl's complete and unabridged journal for English class, and was set in her hometown, Euclid, Ohio. Walk Two Moons was her first book published in the U.S. in 1994, and won the 1995 Newbery Medal. Sharon was the first American winner of the Carnegie Medal for British children's books with her book Ruby Holler, and the first person to win both the American Newbery Medal and the British Carnegie Medal. Sharon is known for addressing serious issues in her stories and using humor to soften them. She returned to the U.S. after 18 years abroad in 1998. She is married, has two grown children, and currently resides in Maine.
2: That's cool that she's won both of those medals.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Hasn't
2: Neil Gaiman done that? Is he the one other one? I f-
0: I feel like he is. But she Probably. was the first.
2: Yeah, I feel like we've talked about another author and he's the one that comes to my mind.
1: Because they just have to be living like residents of those Correct. countries, right? Yes. Okay.
2: Correct. At least for the Newberry. I don't know about the Carnegie.
1: Although she... She said she was in England when she won the Newbery. So maybe she's like a citizen and that's why? I don't know. Yeah, so
2: her husband teaches at one of the colleges over there, I think.
1: Yeah, he's a headmaster or, something, or was a headmaster. This is telling me that Neil Gaiman was the first.
0: The first what? To win both.
2: Oh, we have conflicting, we have conflicting information. <laughs> when did What did she win the Carnegie for? What book? Like, when was it published? Because we'll check the dates, okay? <laughs> we, we will go back. <laughs> Don't make us check
1: the dates. Because
2: I feel like the Graveyard book was after this, after Walk Two mm-hmm. Moons. I think it was. So I think somebody who was writing about Neil didn't get their facts Do straight. The
0: research. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm I'm right about well, I and the internet are right about her Carnegie Medal for the book that I mentioned. When year new, okay. was that published? That was
2: two thousand two. Hmm. Interesting. When did the graveyard book come out
0: neil we need information from you neil
2: look at us doing some sleuthing
0: just on the fly (laughs) some newberry detective work
2: okay the graveyard book was published in 2008 so i think sharon wins
0: okay but that would have been his newberry exactly
2: Sharon had already won a Newberry and a Carnegie before this book even came out. So
1: I think it's his book that won the Carnegie and the Newberry.
2: Ah. So she, oh, so he won it. Leah,
1: thank you for, the same for coming book. in with clarification. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was wondering because I, I thought, I bet, I bet they both were firsts, but just for different things. So, yes, yeah, she won. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everyone. I just, I'm sorry. It's just stop, like we're over stop. here like, what is happening? I know. Like, and, then,
2: and then Leah just idiots. chimes in <laughs> with like, um, the
1: information. Actually. <laughs> this, so this has been my life because in school, in high school, it was like me and all these guys and they would just all be shouting out the answers. So I learned you just sit quietly and <laughs> look wait. things up and I'm then so you just come you. out with the answer. So then proud of you. Was, like whoa (laughs) they could have done that (laughs) she's brilliant like the one time I watched them try to hold each other up so they could walk up the chalkboard with their wet shoes and make footprints and then people would be like who walked on the chalkboard and so I watched them one of them being my current husband and only and (laughs) I just watched them try to hold one another up to walk up the wall. And finally, I was like, guys, Wait, you could just, just take your shoes off. Like, <laughs> oh, are <laughs> oh. Uh, junior high
2: boys.
1: They're the best. They really they are. Provide they provide so really much humor. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it was so funny. <laughs> anyway. So and yeah. girls, too.
2: I mean, I was pretty funny in junior high. Yeah, I've always been funny in all eras. Yes, you have, Mandy. And um, humble. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like admitting you're funny, I don't know. That's humble, you know? We're not like... like,
1: I mean, I at least don't take myself too seriously. Exactly. Well, there's some confusion, I think, about, like... So there was... There's two different words for pride in Russian. And one is, like, knowing that you're good at something... Or maybe there's not two different words. They just think of it differently. But one they're like, no, you're either good at it or you're not. And like you can know if you're good at something. And that's not like being prideful. That's acknowledging the skills that you have. And if you can't do that, then are you really going to use them properly?
2: I know. But yeah, growing up, like I was always told, like, don't, you know. Don't be boastful. But then you get into right. a job interview and they're like, What are your skills? And it's like, I'm not yeah. good at
1: anything. They're and they're like, like Okay, well, about
2: the good stuff about We're not you. gonna hire you then.
1: <laughs> I'm very humble. <laughs> and meek and lowly. <laughs> I got an A for meekness in the third grade. <laughs> Isn't this what you're looking for?
0: <laughs>
2: oh, anyway. Anyway.
1: Lauren, so she actually
2: that
1: she won the Newberry and two UK awards for Walk Two Moons. Did she? But she only wore what one yikes Leah. She only won the Carnegie for Ruby Holler. So it, it must not yes. have been a Carnegie, it was some other kind of awards that she won.
2: Alright, do we want to get into this book? Are we ready? Let's do it. I think so. Right? I'm
1: excited about this. I really should
2: enjoy should I say, this let us walk
1: into Two it. Two moons.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we get into this, I just want to say, if you are a person who likes reading books and doesn't like spoilers, then I would say turn this off go read walk two moons and then listen to this because there were a lot of things that happened in this book that took me by surprise like i didn't see it coming and i'm the type of person that likes that i like to not know what's coming and i like to be surprised or whatever you know i like to I like, as I'm going on the journey of the book, the story, I like to discover things as I'm on the journey. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So I'm like that. Now, I have friends who, they're the type of people who will read the last page of a book before they, like, read the whole book. And, like, that's just how they are. And I don't know if I could do that. I'm a little bit of both. I, so I
0: usually start, well, for the books that I actually read, <laughs> but I usually start reading it and if I get, it d- depends on the vibe I get. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I'm reading the book and I'm like, okay, cool. I just want to find this out as it happens. But sometimes there's books where I'm like, and even TV shows where I'm like, I have to know like what is going to happen. I can't, I can't make it through this without knowing. And so like, I'll, I'll actually look it up and stuff. So,
2: yeah, I understand that. But anyway, so if you're the type of person that likes to discover things on the journey and you haven't read this book yet, go read the book and then come back and listen because we will be talking about this book and there will be spoilers. So, it's I, a I good would hate book, to. So. It is. It's a good book. So, I would hate for you to be, I don't know, to just be robbed of that
0: experience. So, have we ever done this before? Have we ever told, like, People at the beginning of the episode that the book is delightful, so if you don't want spoilers, I don't go know. Go read it. I don't know. I think this might I, be a I, first.
2: I, I, I might have said it before, but I feel I don't think I've ever felt this strongly about it till now.
0: No, I agree. There were a lot of plot to, plot twists. Yes. I kept I kept there saying that the whole time I was reading it. I was like, plot twist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I also want to say that at least. For me i would recommend this book for ages 12 and up what do you guys think i think it
0: depends on that. the 12 year old but yes because
2: the main character herself is 13 and there are i would say several mature topics that are talked about in this book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now my copy of the book says it's for grades three through what it's saying three. really Grades three through seven, but I don't,
0: I don't. Know oh I yeah, had... my book says ages eight to twelve. Yeah, I
2: don't. I, I, I would don't know not. If I would have been able to <laughs> handle this at yeah. eight. I, I don't know.
1: I. That's just my
2: my thoughts. I I would consider this an older middle grade.
1: It definitely felt more like a, like edging into YA. Yes. I mean, it's definitely a middle grade feel, but some of the topics and the way they covered them, I felt like it was more on a a YA level. I definitely would have probably not understood a lot if I were reading it when I was eight, maybe when I was 10. I mean, I was a little bit more mature than some kids. I read a lot of older books just because I love to read, but yeah i think for the average kiddo like 12 would be pushing it <laughs> yeah it's not that they wouldn't understand it i think maybe just the subject matter i would just say i mean as as we usually say parents if you if you want to mm-hmm. know what your kids are reading like read this first before yeah. you have them read it because and and definitely probably a a conversation book oh, for sure you're gonna yes. want to
0: talk with them
2: Alright,
1: cool. are we ready? Okay. Let's do this. I'm so excited. Okay, so.
2: This book is about 13-year-old Salamanca Tree Hiddle. So her first name is Salamanca. Her middle name is Tree. So... (laughs) She's proud of her Indian roots. She doesn't like the term Native American. Her great-great-grandmother belonged to the Seneca tribe, but Sal's parents mistakenly thought it was the Salamanca tribe, which is why they name her that um and as the story opens sal is on a cross-country driving trip from ohio to idaho with her grandparents her father's parents and they're very eccentric and just
1: (laughs) they're so funny yes (laughs) i love them yes (laughs) (laughs) so she's
2: on a trip from ohio to idaho with her grandparents And this is a trip that Sal does and does not want to take. One April morning, Sal's mother left for Idaho and promised to return before the tulips bloomed. She has not returned and Sal wants to find her. She she thinks that if they reach Idaho by the day of her mother's birthday, she will be able to persuade her to return. Sal's father tries to talk her out of it, but to no avail. But Sal is not sure that he will notice her absence. He has been spending most of his time with their neighbor, Margaret Cadaver. About a year ago, her father announced they were... (laughs) It's okay. Continue. About a year ago, her father announced they were leaving their home in Kentucky, which is how they came to be living in Euclid, Ohio, next to Mrs. Cadaver, who lives with her blind mother, Mrs. Partridge. Despite her father's attempts to change her mind, Sal wants nothing to do with Margaret. Margaret. Cadaver. <laughs> I love, and like, as we get into this more, like, we'll learn, like, other people's names, and I just love the names in this book. Like, you have Same. Mrs. Cadaver. Another character we'll meet is Phoebe Winterbottom. Like, just.
0: Yes. Like- <laughs>
1: I really enjoyed um, the beginning of the book where she's describing, I think that's in the beginning, in these first little bits, where she's describing her life and back in the, what is it? By Creek? By? By Banks? By Banks. Yes. I just, it's so peaceful and happy and she loves her animals and she's just got it made. And then they have to leave. And I just feel so sad for her. Yes. Anyway, are we ready to move forward? Do you guys have any other thoughts on the beginning?
2: It just her, sort of her heritage of like, you know, how her great-great-grandmother was from the Seneca tribe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's proud of her Indian roots. She prefers to be called Indian American, I think. American Indian. Rather than Native American. And I, it just made me curious. So I was looking up. Because like, I like to be politically correct, you know. I was going to ask if either of you looked this up to see what was preferred. And really both of them are acceptable terms. If you really want to know. Like I guess if you know someone specifically. They, what I read was like just ask them and they'll tell you. A lot of them want to be known by their the name of their tribe.
1: Right. Mm. So...
2: But yeah, either one is okay. But if somebody says, I don't want you to call me Native American, then don't call them that. Easy peasy.
0: Right? (laughs) Excellent.
2: I was just going to say that, like, this is something that gets brought up kind of throughout the book as they're talking, like, just about her name and her heritage. But I didn't really feel like it was that big a part of the book no no like i wouldn't i don't know i wouldn't give this book it wasn't to somebody. a strong theme yeah i wouldn't give this book to somebody and be like here's a book about a native american girl like <laughs> right. it's not you know what i'm saying like right. she has that in her heritage and she's proud of it but that's kind of it like
1: well i think it kind of that comes from the author I don't know if you guys read her acceptance speech but she talks about how she always was really proud of the fact that she's got like a very very small portion of Indian or Native American blood and she was always fascinated with those cultures because you know she was slightly slightly connected to it so I think that she well, she will said that was part of her drive of including that um, mm-hmm. cultural bit in here like she was very excited one time to take a trip with her Uh, family and it was like a birthday trip that she got to take and she actually got to stop at a reservation and get her her own pair of uh, moccasins and she was so excited so I think a lot of the fascination with that culture and the different things comes from the author and she's kind of like that like she's got a little bit of it in her family tree but she's not she didn't grow up like so it's a little bit of her in that kind of culture so yeah. So she's I think that's why she did it because she's always been it's been a part of her and so she wanted to kind of play that out in this character. I like it. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: So now would be a good time to say that I'm going to get my make your own moccasins kit and others well, can go. do that too. See. Well, good luck. <laughs> why are you saying it like that
2: lauren it just seems like a hard thing to do it comes in a kit with instructions (laughs) so like a lot of things do it doesn't mean like it's easy (laughs) to put together have you ever tried to put together ikea stuff i kid i have put together many ikea things by myself even when it says it needs two people take that ikea and that's not (laughs) pride
0: that's knowing what you're good at
2: look exactly (laughs) i can build any of these collax shelves (laughs) two-person ikea projects (laughs) okay anyway (laughs) oh my goodness
1: So speaking of the author's history, I also read in her Newberry speech that she used to take road trips from um, Ohio where she grew up out west to visit family. And that was part of her inspiration for the road trip that we follow in this book. Um, So Sal begins the long road trip with her grandparents and basically to pass the time her grandparents want her to tell her some stories about her new life in Euclid, which feels like To me, I could tell like they're trying to just help her process everything that's Mm -hmm. gone on. And I don't know. I just I love that intergenerational relationship. We've seen that in, you know, quite a few of the Newberries we've read. I think that's really special and something that kids need to learn how to appreciate. Agree. I guess it just it doesn't come easily for kids to appreciate that. So I like that they put them in these books. So she starts telling them about her new life and she starts telling them about Phoebe Winterbottom, um, who is her new friend. And she sounds hilarious. She sounds like the girl that everyone just needs to be friends with at some point in their life. (laughs) (laughs) So she has a very vivid imagination, Mm -hmm. but it usually (laughs) leans more toward death and destruction. I loved that about her. (laughs) Yes. She thinks that everyone is a potential axe murderer. <laughs> <laughs> and she is particularly suspicious about Margaret's cadaver, given that her last name means dead body. And <laughs> she comes up with this incredibly convincing story that Mrs. Cadaver has killed her husband um, because her husband is absent. They don't know where he went. Um, and chopped him up, and she's buried his body in the backyard. And I can't remember what it is, if it's like a tree or a bush or something that's growing particularly well. And (laughs) Phoebe's just convinced that it's because her dead husband is buried underneath it. (laughs) So... Mm. I love these Phoebe stories and it's it cracks me up because her grandparents call her plebe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tell us more about that plebe girl. It's Phoebe. And like they they always refer to her as plebe throughout the whole book. <laughs> I love
0: that she like corrected them at first and then eventually yep. she just stopped. just yeah it is what it is. <laughs>
1: I like so I like in this book. I guess we could probably set that up. In the book it goes back and forth between what's happening on the road trip Mm -hmm. and then Salmonica Salamanca. I always wanna say Salmonica and that is not it. Salamanca's stories about her life in Euclid. So we've Mm -hmm. got what's going on in the road trip, which is equally as exciting. Yes. And then the things that have happened in the past year or so in Euclid. So
2: I just wanna say that At first, I found the back and forth confusing. Yeah. And I don't know if, like, kids reading this would find it confusing or if I'm just, like, a crazy adult who is scatterbrained.
0: (laughs) I didn't find it confusing. It took me a minute to... It was more so, like, getting into the flow of it. Like, I wasn't confused. It was just... I had to get into the into the flow of how the book was going to switch back and forth between that and and have
2: it not, like, jar me out of the story. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it it did take me a little bit to get into this book.
1: Yeah. I think, though, once you get into it, it really helps with building that suspense Mm because she'll leave you off at a very exciting spot, and then all of a sudden you're back on the road trip, which is equally as exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And then you are left at a cliffhanger, (laughs) and you're back in Euclid. And so, which I, I enjoyed, that method of going back and forth. Um, But I I did have a hard time, like, getting into the flow of it, like you were saying.
2: Yeah. I feel like this method of storytelling has become pretty popular. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've probably talked about this before, but I feel like it's pretty popular, not just with books, but with TV shows and movies Mm -hmm. and stuff. So, but I feel like back in 1995, she was probably, I don't know, one of the first people to do it this way. So... A pioneer, as it were. Yeah, I wonder if, like, that was part of the draw... To this book,
1: it's like, oh, this is cool. It's like two stories in one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually really surprised that I've never read this book and never really even heard about it. And I think part of that is to do with the year it was put out and how old I was and what I was reading at that time. But it's just very good, and it's very much like the other books that we like, like Kate DiCamillo and Catherine Patterson, okay. and. I think especially it reminds me of Kate's books because of the unique names and quirky characters and I don't know I was definitely getting some Kate vibes so I was kind of sad with myself that I hadn't gotten into this author yet and now I want to read more.
2: Yeah for sure it definitely had Kate vibes like (laughs) oh yeah very strong. More people
1: need (laughs) to know about this book and this author
2: (laughs) and we are here to spread
0: the good news. Yes, we actually we
1: had one teacher. I think she commented on my personal um, share of our uh, team friendship status, and she said that she reads this book to her kids every year because she just loves Aww. it so much. That's so sweet. Yeah.
2: So Phoebe begins receiving this these mysterious messages on her doorstep, and. Uh, You know, obviously her first thought is like, (laughs) who are these from and like what's happening and someone's watching our house and like she's freaked out and just just very freaked out. And she brings the, you know, she brings the little notes into her mom and her mom seems kind of freaked out by them too. And Mm -hmm. I think that just feeds into Phoebe's, I don't know, whatever, like (laughs) crazy imagination. And (laughs) on top of that one day while Phoebe and Salamanca are at home after school, they're at Phoebe's house and Phoebe's mom isn't there. A young man shows up at their door. He's probably in his late teens. And he asks specifically for Phoebe's mom. And she was like, oh, she can't come to the door right now because she's doing something. Because she didn't want him to know that they were home alone. (laughs) So Yes. She's like, uh, yeah, mom, someone's here for you. (laughs) So anyway.
0: (laughs) So sorry, she's unconscious right
2: now.
0: (laughs) Come back later.
2: So she thinks that this kid is a lunatic and he was there to murder all of them. And so she tells her mom about this kid and her mom is even more like just disturbed and starts acting really weird So then, so that's going on, and then at school, their English teacher, his name is Mr. Berkway, and he has assigned all of them to start writing journals, and it seems like he might not have told them that he was going to read them, because he asked to collect them one day, and all the students start freaking out, because obviously Mm -hmm. they've written very personal things in these journals, and they're just pretty upset about it but Phoebe since she's you know just moved here hasn't written anything yet so he gives her he's like just write whatever you want and turn it in you know when you've written something so so that's school and then there's a boy in their class named Ben and how do you guys feel about Ben I think he's adorable
1: I think he's creepy I was confused because I I actually was going back and forth between both of those opinions and I never quite figured out, I felt like he was supposed to be endearing in some ways. But I don't think we got to know him enough to really, like, I don't think we got to know him well enough to really like him. It just felt creepy because you just like pop in and and do weird things and then leave. And it's like, I don't understand what your role in this story is.
2: Like her first encounter with Ben is she and Phoebe go over to his house because he's living with his cousins and so Ben and his cousin who's a girl I forget her name they're the same age and so they're over there to hang out with the girl but Ben's there and like something happens and like Salamanca's like leaning over the bed or something and like she moves quickly and like Ben Ben's face is like in her neck and she's like is he trying to kiss me like what's going on and like this this is their first median. I don't I understand. I think it was just
0: like one of those awkward encounters, though. Why is where he it was he trying like, to kiss her? I don't. I don't necessarily <laughs> think that was his intention. I think it just may have seemed that way because, like, when you're that age, like, I don't know. You kind of think like any encounter like that is like that was the intention. Like, were they trying to hold my hand?
2: Yeah, maybe. It's just that he's very touchy feely with her, and I don't like I mean, it. I agree, but he's a young I was- boy. Yes, I was thinking about this. <laughs> I was thinking about this. Here's why I think wow. it comes across as creepy to me anyway, is I think because of the time that this is written in. This is from 1995. And I think if you wrote a book like this now, it. I mean, it just comes, I just think it's. it doesn't age well, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Because now we're in the day and age of consent and And personal
0: space
2: yeah like you know like teaching Mm -hmm. boys that's a good point specifically like you know like
0: (laughs) i just i feel like i feel like he was adorable but awkward which is which is very common for boys that age you know where i i don't think he had any ill intentions i think he was just trying to I don't think so either. The path of but being an adolescent boy that you know is
1: blossoming
0: hormonal. feelings
2: for the girls. Now, I just think wow. if you have <laughs> if if you are a parent of a son, like just teach him some manners, okay? Like it's not it's not cool to just try to kiss girls and touch them. And then when they don't want to be touched, it's not okay to make fun of them or, like, shame them, which is kind of how I felt he made Salamanca feel. Because, like, he, like, she, like, kind of, I don't know, like, shies away or, like, what's the word I'm looking for? She flinches. Yeah, she flinches, like, when he tries to touch her one time. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. like, he, like, comments about that. And I... I get what the author's trying to do. Like, obviously, there was like something psychological going on there. But also, this boy is trying to touch her. Like, keep your hands to yourself. Like, you know what I'm saying? I think there's a
0: fine line with it. And I don't. I think we were riding that line here.
2: Yeah. He just he came across as creepy to me the whole time.
0: That's but but you are a person that that does not
1: like to be touched at all. So I feel like that's not true. (laughs) But if someone you don't really know well is touching you and it makes you feel awkward, like you, you shouldn't feel bad about that. No. Yes. Also true.
0: So I feel like if a
1: young girl is reading this, a young girl who's learning how to interact with boys and she were to read this, she would have been like, oh, well, maybe I should feel comfortable with, you know, like, yeah, it is kind of a dangerous (laughs) game to play with. Younger kids who are learning how to interact with the opposite sex and starting to get those feelings and whatnot, like agree, agree. Again, a book I that think conversations, conversations better. need to be injected
2: yeah. in with. From I just yeah, I just parental. think it doesn't age well. I think, I think when it was written, uh, yes. it probably came across fine. Because if you like watch TV shows from back then, I think right. this kind of stuff was going on, but it it's not okay. No,
1: and I think that is those scenes in particular are the ones that made me feel like an older child should read this bec- and I think now that you're saying that, I don't think I was putting my head in the right space, but now that you're saying that i I understand it more because it is written back in the nineties, and I mean, just watch Boy Meet's World or any of those shows like you know the the girls are getting hit on, and if they don't like it, then they're like stuck up and yeah right you know like uptight and whatever like no I just I don't want you to touch me and I can say no to that and that's okay it doesn't make me a bad person so I'm like I get what that means I get I get where you're going with it and I think I think he could have been written better I almost I'm getting like when we were talking about him I was picturing in my head the awkward brother from the princess diaries (laughs) <laughs> that likes Ian Hathaway yeah. yes like I I think he was that I think he could have been that kind of weird and quirky that he just he really likes her he thinks she's That's this unique how I felt. new girl but he doesn't know how to interact with her well I just think that touching thing crossed a line like I think we could get that relationship without the weird like you should be comfortable with a strange boy touching you moment yeah but I think I think that without all of that he just genuinely liked her, even though everyone else thought she was strange. And, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everyone thought he was strange. But, yeah, anyway. So, I once again will say that I just love her grandparents, they so. are so quirky. And just really sweet to each other and to sell Salamanca. But also, I think that they have that kind of relationship where they can give each other a hard time. And they kind of have their little squabbles, but you know that they still love each other. Um, and they've been married for 51 years. And, uh, and like most grandparents and grandkids, she knows the story of their meeting, their courtship. And I think kind of hearkening back to what we were just talking about, she wonders if she will someday have you know, the warm, enduring marriage like her grandparents have. And so we we hear them talking. I think I, that's the part that I think is really sweet and one of those things that's going to stick in my head. So anytime um, the grandparents would go to sleep at the end of the day when they were traveling, wherever they were, the grandpa would say, well, this ain't our marriage bread, but it will do. And yes. that that's what he always says in their marriage bed was very special. It was... I think it was like three generations in their family had used that bed. And the grandpa's brothers had surprised him the night of their marriage. And that was pretty much the only furniture they had in their house was that marriage bed. So it was truly special to them. It was a really sweet story. It was super sweet. And I think it's just really... It's something that you don't hear about as often these days. Like those lasting marriages that have gone through everything and... I just... I don't know. It was super sweet. It reminded me of my husband's grandparents. That's kind of... They were married for... I think it was like over 70 years or something like that. Wow. And they slept... They slept in a full bed that whole time. A no. full bed, what? you guys.
2: No.
0: I... Drew and I have a <laughs>
1: California
0: king and I still feel like I don't have enough room.
1: I know. And it was just... I mean... <laughs> When Joey's grandma passed away, it was so hard on his grandpa. I mean, his grandpa was 90 something years old. Like, I think in everyone else's minds, we're all like, well, you know, he doesn't he probably doesn't have that many years left. But it was so hard for him to be without his wife because they'd always Mm -hmm. been together. And that's that is all I could kept all I kept picturing with this relationship. Mm. It's so reminded me of my husband's grandparents. But anyway,
2: that's so sweet. I liked that the story ended up being sweet because when I saw the name of the chapter, the marriage bed, I was like, okay, we got this creepy kid trying to touch her. And now we're talking about the marriage bed. Like, what is this book? But it ended up being like really sweet. So.
1: Yes. (laughs) Sharon, she really pulled it out for us there. (laughs) So they're traveling along and one day, they keep making these pit stops that, actually the pit stops remind me of our grandparents because on road trips, they were never a straight shot. You're always stopping at different places. Mm And um, one day they stopped at the Missouri River and her grandma just really wanted to put her toes in the river. She was determined to do it. And while they were there, Graham gets bitten by a poisonous snake.
0: A water moccasin.
1: A water moccasin. (laughs) So, this storyline was really sad to me and kind of hard, like I just felt like there was already enough pain in the book. I don't know if you guys got this feeling <laughs> like this book is already super hard, and then we add in a new difficult storyline, but I don't okay Sharon i'll just I'll trust you on it, yeah, so they actually run into a young boy while they're in the water and they're kind of in the middle of a confrontation with the boy because he's telling him his private property and blah, blah, blah. And then Graham gets bit. And so there's this like ominous young boy character, but he ends up running to her grandma and starts sucking the snake venom out of her leg and basically saves her life at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they end up taking grandma to the hospital. She spends the night in the hospital. And again, the grandpa lays in the hospital bed with her even though he's not supposed to it says it ain't our marriage bed but it'll do (laughs)
0: i know i love that
1: (laughs) so Graham is eventually released from the hospital but throughout the rest of the book you can tell she's just she's not doing well she's not fully recovered from the snake bite but they have to keep going on their journey so off they go
2: Sal continues her story about Phoebe. And we learn that Phoebe's mom just disappears one day. She leaves a note and says like she's left like some meals in the freezer for them, but she doesn't tell them where she went or anything like that. And so of course Phoebe just immediately is just like she's been kidnapped, she's been <laughs> taken against her will, and this is the work of Mrs. Cadaver. She has something to yes. do with this. <laughs>
0: Or the lunatic.
2: Yes, and so she she writes about this in her journal and she writes about she writes about Mrs. Cadaver in her journal, like chopping up her husband and all of that. And so this is where we get to the part of the story where Mr. Berkway, their English teacher, starts reading their journals out loud in class. But he changes the names and things like that. But they still know like the kids smart they still know who wrote what and so it's very embarrassing for all of the kids and he gets to phoebe's journal and reads about mrs cadaver (laughs) killing her (laughs) husband and he just it, it kind of like messes with him and like he's like you know what kids i'm really sorry and like ends class and so he shows up later at phoebe's house and he says there's something i need to tell you phoebe um I'm Mrs. Cadaver's brother, and I want to tell you the truth about what happened to Mr. Cadaver and also what happened to um, Mrs. Cadaver's mom, Mrs. Partridge. We haven't talked about this yet, but we learned very early on in the book that Mrs. Partridge is blind and just kind of a quirky character herself. But So we learn from Mr. Berkway that Mr. Cadaver and Mrs. Partridge were in a car accident. And Mr. Cadaver died. And that is what caused Mrs. Partridge to lose her eyesight. And so that's what happened to Mr. Cadaver. We also learned that Mrs. Cadaver is a nurse. And she was the one who, like, when they brought them to the emergency room, she was the one who, like, worked on them, basically. So that's kind of a dark
1: part of the story.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I also I just I was going to mention it before but backing up a little bit with Phoebe's mom we get this picture of Phoebe's mom that she is like the perfect wife the perfect mother she does everything for everyone and Phoebe and her sister and her dad just really kind of take her for granted and so and I like how the author sets that up one to kind of show that adults are not uh, bulletproof that mm-hmm. like you can even um, so sal can definitely see that Phoebe's mom is not happy that there's something a little bit off that she does everything for everyone no one appreciates her and the girls just think like well that makes her happy to do everything for us but Salmanka can kind of see like she's she's been through some stuff. So she's a little bit more attuned to adults and Mm -hmm. um, she can tell that Phoebe's mom, there's just something not right that maybe she's not as happy as everyone thinks she is, which I think is really helpful to set up just some mystery around where she went and why she left. Because I mean, I definitely assumed she left because she just was feeling overwhelmed and realizing like she couldn't handle it. Like as you keep going, obviously you see there's probably a different reason, but The author did a really good job of setting that up (laughs) to make it look like she was just an overstressed, Mm -hmm. like overworked mom that needed a break.
2: And this is something that Salamanca has, she had watched her own mom, like struggle with her own issues. And so I think because she had seen her own mother struggle with... I don't know, wanting to live up to something. I think we all do that sometimes where we just have this idea in our head of who we're supposed to be or what kind of person we're supposed to be. And so Salamanca had watched her own mother just struggle with that. We Mm -hmm. learn in the book that her mom had a miscarriage Mm -hmm. and like they just wanted to have a lot of children, but she ended up having this miscarriage. And then after that, she couldn't have any more kids. And so it really just wrecked her mom and Mm -hmm. you know you can see the the mental health side of it yes and i think we're also seeing that with phoebe's mom Mm -hmm.
0: that's what i liked about those storylines is especially like highlighting women not that you know men's (laughs) mental health is an important but like just highlighting women and like the mental health that comes from you know being a mom or or, mm-hmm. or losing a child or you know all of all of these things um i really liked how it highlighted that i think i think it makes it a good book for children and adults
2: yeah for sure
1: So Phoebe's mother finally returns and there's a lot that happens in between there and here, but I will leave that for the readers to find out. But Phoebe's mom finally comes back and she has a young man with her and she has kind of a startling announcement that this young man is her son and no one knew that she had a son. It's not what and, I thought was happening at all.
0: No, me neither. <laughs> and I feel
1: terrible for what I thought. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I kind of figured it out. I, I mean, because they were at like a college. So, backing up a little bit, Phoebe and Salmanka are doing this research on who the lunatic is that keeps leaving. Letters And they think it's this boy that they keep seeing in their neighborhood. They finally figure out that this boy is actually the chief of police's chief of police, right? Yes. The chief of police's son.
2: Or one of the sergeants or I don't know. I don't know. Phoebe has gone to the
1: police station
2: multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) Phoebe is Phoebe.
1: (laughs) Love that girl. Uh, So they figure out who this boy is that he... You know he's related to someone in their town that they know. They track him down. He's at college. They they go to the college campus. They get to his dorm, and when they get to the dorm, Salmanka sees him.
0: I think they kind and of both, both simultaneously see them,
1: but they don't see who the boy is. They just see Phoebe's mom, like kiss a a young man on the cheek. Um, She's cut her hair. She doesn't look anything like herself. She's wearing clothes that she would never have worn before. I thought she had a midlife
0: crisis, okay?
1: Right. (laughs) So when they're at the campus, I kind of guessed because it's a young guy that keeps coming to their house, and now she's at the same college with the young guy. Anyway, all that to say, Phoebe thinks that her mom's having an affair which
0: is what I thought.
1: So she goes home with that information and she's trying to figure out how to tell her dad and then she finds out um she they get some heads up that their mom is coming home and she's bringing someone with her and Phoebe's like, "Oh yeah, she is bringing somebody with her. Just <laughs> wait till you see this, dad." <laughs> um and so then Phoebe's mom comes, the sister's like she's got a guy with her. And so like Phoebe's dad is like, "Okay, I got to prepare myself for this confrontation." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like He wasn't quite ready for that. And so then they kind of come around the corner and they see this kid who Phoebe and Salmanka also happens to be there, bless her heart. Like she does not want to be there for this family situation. (laughs) Um, But they come around the corner and they see in the doorway that it is the lunatic. Like the boy that they know as the lunatic um, is with Phoebe's mom. And so now there's a lot of confusion. Like what is happening here? So Phoebe tells them that this boy who is actually not a lunatic is her son that she had actually given him up for adoption when she had met Phoebe's father because she was very very concerned with being respectable which then once we learned that a lot of the other things make sense because she's basically been trying to prove herself yeah mm-hmm. you know since she first married Phoebe's dad prove that she's worthy prove that she's a good mom because She gave up a a child, and so now she's trying to prove that she can be this amazing person. But then once the son figures out who his mom is and starts coming around, she kind of realizes her little charade is breaking down, and she's kind of got to come to grips with things. But thankfully, you know, Phoebe's dad kind of takes a step, has to kind of process, and then basically says, I've always wanted a son. And... Mm -hmm welcomes him into the family and they all kind of realize it's going to take some work but they want to they want their mom back he wants his wife back and they want to welcome this new son into their family yeah they're running out of freezer meals so right so phoebe <laughs> just <kidding>. right, exactly <laughs> exactly phoebe phoebe still has some hesitations you know obviously she's she feels she's been lied to this new boy you know has just popped into her family and i think any kid would probably have some troubles with that Mm -hmm. but anyway so she ends up leaving with salmanca and then as they're leaving they discover another little secret lauren you want to let us in on what that is so we learn the identity of who has been leaving
2: the mysterious messages on phoebe's doorstep and one of those messages that has been left on her doorstep is don't judge a man until you've walked two moons in his moccasins Mm -hmm. which is where we get the title of the book and we learned that the person leaving the messages was mrs partridge mrs cadaver's blind mother i thought this was adorable and i don't why does she say she's started leaving these messages
0: her Her daughter reads, they're in the newspaper every day, and her daughter would read them to her. And then she would cut them out, and she just wanted to share them with someone else, you know, maybe brighten someone else's day
1: with good words. She's so sweet. She said, I just thought you would enjoy them, and it would be a nice (laughs) surprise to get these messages every, you know, every day or every so often. And Mm -hmm. I just, I kind of picture, like, Cloris Leachman or, like, yes. somebody like that as Mrs. Partridge. Because she's just so funny and, like, in her own little, like, I just thought this would be nice. And yeah. Phoebe's over here, like, there is an axe murderer yes. leaving us these messages.
2: <laughs> leaving And it's just fortunes. Mrs. Partridge. Oh, yes. it's <laughs> She's just so paranoid. and She is. Well, I love her because I can just relate to her. I mean, I feel like she's like on a whole nother level than I am. But I feel like sometimes I can be this way where I just get in my head and
1: I'm just like, right. we are all going to die. I This is something we haven't really talked about, but I love her obsession with cholesterol. Yes. And, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I forgot about Salt that. and like all those things. So she ends up... So while Phoebe's mom is gone, Salmonka trying to be really friendly. And so she's spending time with her. She actually had Phoebe spend the night at her house. And then one night they were at dinner at Mary Lou's house where Ben also lives. And that house is chaotic. There's just, wait, is that where Ben lives? Did I just say that wrong? Yeah, there's just like a lot of kids and yeah,
2: they just basically eat carbs. <laughs>
1: for dinner (laughs) the dinner is super unhealthy and phoebe because she's hurting she misses her mom she just starts ridiculing this family for all the cholesterol they're consuming that they're all gonna die like none of this is healthy she can't eat anything that they've been prepared and then we see another time when she's at Salmanka's house and she just complains about every little thing She makes Salmanka sleep on the floor. Like She is being a terrible, terrible person and a terrible friend. But the thing that I really, really appreciated about Salmanca's character development and how the author portrayed her is that she can take a step back and see that that's how Salmanka was when her mom left. And she can look at Phoebe and understand that her friend is hurting and that she's not doing these things to be rude and obnoxious. And I think even at that dinner, Phoebe kind of covers for her, like, you know, she misses her mom. Like, we're really sorry (laughs) that this is happening. Yeah. (laughs) But I just I thought that was really I I think that's the joy that comes from sorrow in some ways that you go through difficult times. And then you can be there for your friend when they're going through a difficult time and you can Mm -hmm. kind of bear the brunt of their meanness and rudeness and like Mm -hmm. just overall awfulness because you understand where they are emotionally and you're willing to kind of take that. And I think she does have her limit at some point, but she is also 13. Um, But I just thought that was really, really sweet that she let it play out like that, that the author let it play out like that, that PB had this really understanding friend who had already been through this difficult situation. I agree. And yeah. it just made me really happy to see that like, that's, that's mental health. <laughs> like that is, yeah, That's someone processing it's, their pain and their hurt and being able yeah. to use it to help someone else.
2: Yeah. And it goes back to the title of the book about,
1: you yeah, know,
2: don't judge a man until you've walked two moons in his moccasins. And she's, yep. she's doing
1: that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, I just that part really meant some like meant a lot to me. <laughs> yeah. I was telling my husband all about it. Like this is the sweetest thing and it's yeah. just, it just like kids need to to read this and to know like mm-hmm.
2: and it's a good reminder for all of us to like mm-hmm. if somebody's acting a certain way that maybe they don't normally act and you're like what the heck is wrong with them? Like right. Maybe Absolutely. maybe they are going through something and exactly. ask them if they're okay. That's what I
0: like about this book that I feel like it in in many ways touches on a lot of mental health things with, without like outright saying it. It just like Yeah, it's not in your face. It just deals with it. Just shows yeah. you you know right and i guess wrong ways of dealing with it and yeah. and showing displaying it and how people behave and maybe a better way to respond to those behaviors. I just this is a good book. <laughs> it is. It's one of my favorites of of the ones we have read now. It's going up there.
2: So, back to the road trip. Grams they're they're going to take another pit stop because Grams really wants to see Old Faithful. So they do that, and they see Old Faithful, and it's magical. But she's very ill, and so they end up having to take her to the hospital.
0: I will say, I I want to touch on like all the places they stopped. It made me like this book made me want to go on a road trip and and see some right? of these places. I haven't I haven't seen a lot of them, so I don't know. I'm kind of low key planning a road trip now because of this book. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And it would be, I mean, I know a lot of families like to take road trips with their kids, and a lot of the places they stop on this road trip are, you know,
1: oh, iconic yeah.
2: places. Mm-hmm. Like, they go to Mount Rushmore, yes. and Old Faithful, and what, the Black Hills, I think. So, yeah, like, it's a pretty cool, I'm I'm sure that somebody out there has, you know, mapped out the Walk Two Moons road trip so right? you could take your own road trip and hopefully you know it it's nicer than their road trip ends up being but <laughs> walk to moons road oh there's a map Let's see and so sal is just she's she's worried about her grandma but they're just so close to to where her mom is and so she's just very anxious and so, Gramps gives her the car keys and doesn't like, you know, he's like, here's the keys in case you left something in the car. But, like, they both kind of know, like, he's silently telling her, like, just just finish the trip
1: on your own, basically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And gr- the grandpa, a little backstory, grandpa had always taken her out to drive on the farm and kind of taught her how to drive when they lived yes. uh, back in Bybank. So... He knew that she knew how to drive because yeah, he had yeah. taught her, even though she's, you know, thirteen. So we have Graham in the hospital, and then the granddaughter taking a road trip <laughs> right in a car. She just gets the keys tossed at her and some cash. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, this last part of the trip, Sal is setting off to see her mom, and and you kind of understand that her mom has passed away by this point. No, you don't. Yes, you I do. understood
0: it. No, I, didn't I understood that
2: because she, she keeps, did not understand it. Well, she keeps saying things like, "I'm gonna see if I can bring my mom home," but. I knew that that was impossible, or like just saying things like that. I,
0: but I thought it was like for other reasons that like her mom was just like dead set on whatever, or I don't know. Yeah, and I I, just, I could see
2: how you could read it that way too. I
0: literally did not know until she like started heading down to the the
1: bus, so she sets off for Lewis Lewiston. And when she gets there, she's kind of standing toward the side of the road, and then another guy kind of says, "Hey, did, it's really sad. What happened over here?" And like talks about the this terrible bus accident and how awful it was. And I don't. Did he say at that time only one person survived? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think he did mention that. And so at that point, we are kind of faced with the truth that Sal's mom had been in a terrible bus accident. And there's the bus wreckage on the side of the road. And that's where Sal was driving. And so she kind of goes down and is kind of climbing around and just thinking about it. And then we get kind of a flashback. Back when Sal was in um, Euclid, she finally sat down and talked with Margaret Cadaver just to try to figure out, like, why her dad likes her and what she knows. And um, I think someone had even mentioned, like, you really should talk to her. So we find out that Margaret Cadaver was the only survivor of that bus, bus crash, and she'd been sitting next to her mom, um, Sal's mom, and while they were sitting together, I mean, it was a six-day trip, Sal's mom told her all about Sal and their farm and all the animals and just how much she loved everybody, And and then they have this terrible bus accident, and Margaret was the only survivor and they had pulled everybody out and all of a sudden Margaret's hand came up and they realized there was another person and she survived. Afterward, when Sal's dad comes to identify Sal's mom, she, he meets Margaret um, and they just start talking about Sal's mom and um, they just kind of strike up a friendship. And it, it seems like it didn't start as romantic. It just started as Sal's dad wanting another, just a little piece of his wife.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And because Margaret you know, had that last little bit of information, she was able to talk to him and share that. So anyway, while Sal is at the bus, a police officer pulls up, sees her crawling around, and he thinks she's just one of the local teenagers, you know. I'm sure people probably think it's haunted or whatever. And um, he realizes what's going on. She tells him what's going on. And so you kind of think she's going to be in major trouble. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But the police officer puts her in his car, has his has someone else drive the grandpa's car back, and they end up taking her to her mom's grave to let her, you know, say goodbye there as well. And I just that was just so sweet. Like mm-hmm. I was like,
0: oh my goodness. I love that.
1: Oh, it, it reminded me, what was the other? What was the I think it was a Kate book where I think it was one of the the three friend books where she was like trying to get back and dig up a box that had memories. Was that a Kate DiCamillo book? I don't remember. Maybe that's so you can cut that part out. Anyway. Um that's what it reminded me of. So she visits her mom's grave and she realizes, you know, that this trip was just a way for her grandparents to give her the gift of finding the truth about her mom experiencing that trip that her mom took before she passed away and in a way it was kind of a coming of age moment that she gets Mm -hmm. her truth it's a door you know a chapter kind of not closed but just she sees the end more clearly I guess Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then she heads back to the hospital so it's like one emotional moment yes (laughs) and then she heads back to the hospital And she finds out that her grandma has died. She'd had a stroke because of all of the snake bite stuff. And then she passed away. You guys, I was not ready for that part. I (laughs)
2: know. I was
0: so sad. Like, the the end of this book is just like, it just wrecks you. Like, it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, what is (laughs) happening?
2: (laughs) I will say the end of the book redeemed it for me. Because honestly, the whole time I was reading... I just, there were so many cringy moments and I was just like, what is happening? Like, I thought maybe her mom had committed suicide and like, I don't know, I just, and not that that would have been a bad ending, but I just, I don't know, just finding out the truth of what happened and then finding out about Margaret Cadaver and like, it just, everything comes together, you know, at, at, at the end of the book and just, it's so beautiful. Like, it's so sad, but it's so beautiful. And it's just beautiful how, like, even through the hard things in life, like, we can be connected with other people and that help us on our journey, you know? Yeah. So.
1: And I felt like it wasn't, I think some books try to bring about that happy ending and all the connection, and it just doesn't feel authentic. Mm -hmm. And all of this felt plausible like it felt genuine Mm -hmm. and i didn't feel like it cheapened you know the harder parts of the story i felt like it it wasn't like and then she he magically met this woman who you know like i felt like it was just a very sweet genuine like we're connected and here's some good that's come out of this really really bad situation
2: yeah So Sal and her father return to their farm in Kentucky. I think he's just ready to, like, he's able to move on and he's ready to live on their farm because the reason they moved to Euclid was obviously because of Margaret Cadaver, but also he just, he was having a hard time living on the farm without Sal's mom being there. Like, everything he looked at reminded him Mm -hmm. of her, and so he's finally able to to go back and and live their life there. And I was so glad. I mean, I I think I would have been fine either way like if they had stayed in Euclid. But I just love like that they went back to the farm and because just Sal had just such a strong connection to it and just with the nature and the animals and I'm just so glad she was able to return to to her home.
1: Yeah, and I think it was sweet. Like they talk about how Her grandma is buried, buried on the farm now because grandpa needs a place to go and visit with her. But for them, like her mom is just all over. She's in the trees. She's in, you know, she's the animals and all the things. And for Sal, I think while it was hard for her dad because it reminded him of his wife, for Sal, it reminded her of her mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's little pieces of her mom that she can still have with her. I just thought that was really sweet the way she kind of summarized that where the grandpa wanted a place to go and sit and be with his wife and they yeah. just... It's like the mom still has life to live almost. Yeah. And so she's just all... She's alive all over their, their beautiful land.
0: Oh. It's just <laughs> so touching.
1: It was really sweet and... I don't know. I I I think now that we're older like we see more of these situations. I mean not to this extreme, but sort of like things play out. I've just I've been following a a younger dad who lost his wife and now is a father, a single father to his kids and just kind of thinking through like how do you continue on after? And I think this is a really accurate picture of the struggle and yes I think this would be helpful for people that have lost a parent or a, you know something like that in their lives
2: I agree I think it's a very well-written book that deals with hard things just like we said before like very similar to Kate Camillo and Catherine Patterson of dealing with hard things in in a, a way that is accessible to younger kids right that also gives gives you hope. Like they always put hope in their books, and this book definitely has that. And at the end of the book, we see Sal and her grandpa, and they often will play a game of walking in someone else's moccasins. So they'll say, you know, I, I wonder, uh, you know, I wonder how Phoebe feels about this, and let's pretend I'm Phoebe. Or, mm-hmm. and I just think that's a good exercise to do with your mm-hmm. kids. Of just, well, let's talk, you know, let's talk about your friend or let's talk about this person and like put yourself in their shoes and maybe try to think about why they made that choice or,
1: you know, what they would think about this. So, yeah, yeah, I like one of the examples If I were walking in PBs, moccasins, (laughs) I would be jealous of a new brother dropping out of the sky. You know, Mm -hmm. and just simple things like that where you process, you know, what someone else is feeling in their life situation currently. (laughs) Yeah. And I
2: think it helps helps you become a better friend. But also, I don't know, it's just, it's just, it can help you become less selfish and less... Just self focused, which a lot of times, Mm when I I say kids, but I think we can all become very self focused. Yes,
1: yeah, we get self focused, and then someone else does something that seems offensive to us, Mm -hmm. and instead of thinking, "If I were walking in their moccasins right Mm -hmm. now, this is what I'd be feeling," we just think, "Well, how dare they say that to me? Don't they know what I've been going through? Like attacking me? Like my life is so hard. One, I have the hardest life of anyone." I know. I'm... That's me. <laughs>
2: you think you've got it bad. Yeah, like, Let well, me tell you my sh- story. Let me tell you my story,
1: friend. <laughs> Which, I mean, if you think about it in terms of this book, Salmanga had a really, really, really rough life. And Phoebe yeah. just has a new brother, you know? But, yeah. like, it's hard for her. It's, yeah. it's hard for her. And yeah. I... And I think like Sal wrestles with that. There's I think
2: there's like a few pages where she's wrestling with that mm-hmm. of like yes, this is hard for Phoebe but she's also wrestling with the fact of like Phoebe's mom actually came back and my mom didn't come back and right. just mm-hmm. Yeah, it's life is hard and it's hard in different ways and not everyone's story is gonna be the same as yours and and that's okay. Like just because you went through this hard thing, and someone else is going th- through something that, you know, you might think is not as hard, but it's right. still hard for them. You know, so yep. trying to keep that perspective. And there was, there's was a quote at the end of the book. I'm going to find it. Like, I just read it and I just immediately took like a screenshot of it because I was Aww. like, oh, Lauren, you need to remember this. Because I'm, <laughs> I can be a lot like... Because as as you're reading through the book, Sal shares some of her fears and like she's not as paranoid as Phoebe is about stuff, but she has certain fears and okay, so it's at the end of the book and she's kind of thinking through like all the things that have happened like about her grandma's snake bite and... Um, her mom's miscarriage and like, you know, maybe if we had done things a certain way, things would have been different. and, And she says, but as I sat there thinking these things, it occurred to me that a person couldn't stay all locked up in the house like Phoebe and her mother had tried to do at first. A person had to go out and do things and see things. And I wondered for the first time if this had something to do with Graham and Gramps taking me on this trip. And I just love that because I just I am the type of person that I just wanna I I wanna be safe. And so for me, like safety is just staying at home and then nothing bad will ever happen to me. And so anytime I go out of the house, it seems like I'm just like freaked out about all the bad things that could happen. But like <laughs> you have to go out of your house and you have to see things and do things. And yes, bad things might happen. But that's part of life, and it's part of living. And I don't know. It's easier to say than do for me anyway, but I just really appreciated that quote at the end of the book.
1: Yeah, I really, I liked that as well. That's... these. <sighs>
2: i know and i'm just like here this 13 year old girl and obviously it's sharon creech and she's not 13 but i'm like this 13 year old girl is like preaching to me here like <laughs> right <laughs> but i don't know i just that's the power of books too it's just they can help us and shift our perspective and yes i just love books you guys
1: me too So, we've already talked about a couple different things that you can do with your kiddos. I love the walk in someone else's moccasins. You could even make that a game or a tradition of, you know, let's just, we're taking a walk or we're in the car. Let's just talk about some of our friends or family and just, if I were in their moccasins, I would be, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think too, it could be helpful for adults to say, yeah. to hear their kids and their insight on things because kids are very aware of others' emotions and much more than I think most adults would give them credit for. Although I think nowadays we're giving them a lot more credit for it. But (laughs) I don't know. I love asking, even my three-year-old, I love asking her sometimes, even if we're just reading a book, what do you think they're feeling? How do you think that made them feel? Or what do you – look at their face. What do you think they're thinking right now? You know, because it – she's usually pretty insightful um (laughs) and i i just it's fun for me and i think it's good for her to just learn empathy and yeah i like that as an idea
2: yeah i think you connect could connect that to another idea of journaling because that would be a good journal prompt Mm -hmm. for your kids and and yeah, like you said, Leah, for adults. <laughs> so yeah, you
0: can, and you can <laughs> journal
2: on your road trip. Exactly. <laughs> nice. One of the things I loved about this book was the vocabulary words. Like there were several mm-hmm. words that I wasn't sure what the meaning was. And then there were a few times where they, she actually like gave you the definition like through the story. And mm-hmm. I loved that. I thought it was so cool. So keeping a word journal or like a commonplace book, some people call it, of just writing down just vocabulary words or quotes that you like just in the books you're reading.
1: And, and then if you find a good quote, you could just anonymously leave it on a friend's doorstep.
2: Yes. Another fun activity. <laughs> and let's hope they're not paranoid
1: and think that it's an ex-murderer
2: leaving them notes. <laughs>
1: you know... I actually, speaking of leaving things on people's doorsteps, this has really not much to do with the book, but um, I think a quote would be better to leave than a fish, which I've heard recently some friends were fished by people. (laughs) They left like two bags of fish on their front porch. Like 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 live
2: fish? fish? Like live pet fish. Oh,
1: no. No. I'm like that is the weirdest, like,
2: because like now they have to go out and like buy a exactly. fish tank and all that crap, right? That's actually really good. This
0: is like, no, you don't have to no. teepee people anymore. If you're mad at someone, <laughs> just, just put a I bag. I you
2: a kitten, right? <laughs> Here's some responsibility. Aww, I'll take a kitty.
1: I would take a kitty too, actually.
2: My husband would not like it, but. I would. I mean, if they just (laughs) left it there, you got to do something. I know, yeah. That's so funny. (laughs) Oh my
0: goodness. (laughs) You could cut that out if you want.
2: (laughs) Well, if you liked this book, here's some similar books you may enjoy as well. Obviously, anything by Katherine Patterson bridge to terabithia is one that comes to mind mm-hmm. but prepare and to have your Kate heart ripped out. yeah these books really reminded me of the ramey nightingale oh, yes. trio of books which i need to read again because they're just so good
1: they're really good. I just yeah. recently loaned them out to someone. I'm like, you have to read these. If you like Kate books, yeah. you have to read
2: I, these. That's what I did with them. I gave, I think I would read them and then I would give them to my mom. And then I'm like, here's the next one. Because <laughs> yeah. they're so good. And another book that might not be familiar to some people is called The Line Tender by Kate Allen. And Leah, you're the one who like made me read that book.
1: Yeah, it was so good. Yeah just one of those tearjerker all the feels very insightful books yeah it was so good and i remember
2: the year it came out i was just really hoping it would win the newbery but it Me didn't too. but it was just it's so good so if you're if you like kind of that style of book it's the line tender by kate allen check it out mm. That's very nice cover art it is it's, so, it's just such a good book, you guys. Just read it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I know what book I was thinking of, and I think it actually would be a good read-alike. It's called Coyote Sunrise. Have you guys read that book?
2: No, I've heard of it, though.
0: But it popped up here on the search with the line tender, people also search for Coyote Sunrise.
1: Yes. The Remarkable Journey of Coyote Sunrise. If you like this book, you will love that book. And I think that is the book I that may have been cut out earlier. But Coyote's is on a journey. She wants to get back to a park in her old neighborhood where her she buried a treasure with her mom and her sisters. Her mom and her sisters are both passed away. And her dad basically takes them on the road and they become these like road warrior hippie people. And... She just really wants to get back to get this box because they're about to demolish the park. And so much of this book reminded me of that Mm. book. Hmm. So if you enjoy this one, I think you would also enjoy a lot of quirky characters. They're on a road trip. And yeah, it's definitely a read alike. now that I remember what book I was talking about. That's awesome. I do like the cover of this one, too. The Remarkable Journey of Coyote Sunrise by Dan Gemmenhart.
2: Nice. I'm also going to include in the show notes a list of Native American middle grade books that are by Native American authors. I just think it's important to read books by authors who have either experienced it or actually like descendants of Native Americans. So, I've actually read I've read one of the books that's on the list and I'm in the middle of reading another one. But a lot of the books on the list uh, look pretty good. So, anyway, I will share a link to that. Ooh, they have pretty cover art. Yes. It's my favorite. A few of them are new releases. And one of them, I think one of them got an honor award. I don't remember. The, um... this one, I checked them all out from the library because I'm crazy. Wow. She is didn't leave any for the rest of us. <laughs> the one I started reading is In the Footsteps of Crazy Horse. I thought it had won something, but it doesn't have anything on. On my copy that it won something, but anyway, so far it's pretty good. All right, any other any other books,
1: guys? Um well, there's a couple of adult adult read-alikes. Um there's yes. Ask Again, Yes by Mary Beth Keane.
2: Yes, I was definitely getting just kind of the similar um, feelings, I guess, as I was reading this book. Is mm. And honestly, Ask Again Yes is not one of my favorite books. And it's very, um, I don't know, it's, for me, it was a harder read. It deals with a lot of hard things. But I appreciate the realness of it, if mm. that makes sense. And I mm-hmm. think This book, Walk Two Moons, had a lot of that realness.
1: Yes. I think, I'm trying to remember, because we've talked about how this is a new style that, I don't even know if it's new, but it seems like a trend. Yeah. I believe Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. I think that was kind of a hot back and forth. You're kind of following a, you know, before and after kind of journey okay cool not exactly the same vibes but it was written in that same format awesome yeah and I think um, Celeste's other book is written similarly to that I can't remember what the other one was that was that came out um, after that but anyway I like her writing I'll have to check it out all the literature
2: well Leah it's
1: your turn to pick the next book have you chosen? So the last book I picked was Sarah Plain and Tall, which was one of my favorites from when I was a kid. And I've kind of been holding out to pick these books. I don't know why, but I feel like after the past couple of years, I'm like, you know what? I just want to read these books that I love. So the next book we're going to pick is one of my other, probably my second favorite from when I was younger. It's a Katherine Patterson book and mm. it's called Jacob, Have I Loved? So this is the winner of the 1981 Newbery Medal. And if you're familiar with scripture, the phrase probably is a little familiar to you. So it's talking about Jacob and Esau. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. It's in Romans 9.13. And it's a reference to a bitter rivalry between two twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, two twin brothers. That's redundant. In the novel, this verse is whispered by Louis to Louise by her spiteful grandmother and refers to the family situation in which like Esau and his brother, Jacob, the narrator appears to have lost her birthright to her beautiful sister, Caroline, except for a brief opening prologue and a few closing pages. This story takes place on a small imaginary windswept Ross Island in Chesapeake Bay. And we're basically following the teenage years of these twin sisters. It's set during world war II. Um, And immediately after the war, and it's a very intense book. I remember it being frustrating. I've always been frustrated with Jacob and Esau as well. (laughs) Just (laughs) the story, like in my like human like everything should be fair mind, it always frustrated me that Jacob was so like conniving, and
2: Mm -hmm.
1: poor Esau was punished and ended up being like the bad one and. Anyway, so I just remember being a little frustrated by this book, but it was one of my favorites for some reason. I guess I'm a sucker for punishment. (laughs) So I will say, here's a quote from Catherine, so maybe it'll uh, make you a little bit more excited about reading it than I just made you. It said, I have learned that when I'm willing to give myself away in a book, readers will respond by giving themselves away as well. And the book that I labored over so long becomes in our mutual giving something far richer and more powerful than I could ever have ever imagined. So I am really excited to read this book again with you guys. (laughs) And I looked it up and then I also would watch a movie that's based on the book and it looks like it's available on Prime right now. So it's called Jacob of I Loved. And so we can Read the book and watch the movie and we get to talk about it. And I'm super excited.
2: I have ordered my Yay. book on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. excited to read another Katherine Patterson book.
1: Me too. This is her like her. her, second Newbery Medal book. So people love Katherine, you know.
0: Yes. yes.
1: Well, should we let the people know how to get in touch with us? You can email us at teamfriendshippodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
0: You can find us on Instagram, teamfriendshippodcast.
2: We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash teamfriendshippodcast. I'm going to interject here, guys. I just, I wanted to ask you guys, listeners, if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, if you would... Kind of select. And it's different in Facebook and Instagram how you do it, but like if you could select like to be notified whenever we make a post. And the reason I'm asking this is like we really don't post a whole lot, and so I feel like when we, because of that, when we do post, sometimes you guys don't see it. You get lost, or maybe you don't see it right away. Mm-hmm. And so if you could do us a favor and maybe just set so you can get a notification whenever we post that way you won't miss it and we really don't post a whole lot i think like we post like once or twice a week so it's yes, not like you're going to be like yeah. yeah it's not like you're going to be like inundated with team notifications. friendship
0: <laughs> blowing up my notifications
2: there's some people i follow that i have set to be notified and i need to turn it off because yes. it's like yeah. every 5 minutes i'm like oh goodness <laughs> And then Instagram is doing this new thing where they've kind of defaulted to, like, limit what you see in- if they think it's offensive. So you can actually go in and Instagram's change Instagram's doing all
0: sorts of weird stuff right now.
2: Yeah. And so I did. I went in and fixed it. And sure enough, like, all these people that I followed, like, that I, I hadn't that seen in too? a while showed up. And I was like, why do they think this is offensive? And then I'm like, you know what? I understand. I get it, Instagram. But like, I'm an adult, and like, I choose who I follow on Instagram. Even if you, even if whatever. I mean, I've done this before. Like, if someone's posting stuff that I just don't want to see, I unfollow them. Like, I'm an adult. I can do that. So, like, I don't need you to decide what might be offensive. (laughs) Sorry, I'm off my soapbox now.
1: I just turned that off. (laughs) (laughs) Take that Instagram.
2: if you enjoy listening to us it would be awesome if like whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on if you would give us a review that helps other people find us and share us with your friends if you think if you have friends who you think might enjoy our podcast we'd love to get some particular brand of other listeners audio (laughs) crazy (laughs) All right, Leah, tell them where our website is. Our website is
1: teamfriendshippodcast.com.
2: You can find me on Instagram. That's where I mostly am, at JediReader1138.
1: You can also find me on Instagram. I really should post more. If you guys follow me, I'll post more.
2: <laughs> ah, yes. You can find me at redheaded Reader.
0: You can also find me on Instagram at Mandy Malay Foe Reader.
2: Well, folks, we'll see you all on another time.
0: And remember, friends, no two persons ever read the same book. Ever.
2: many book awards to be wo- to be won to, to be, be to be won <laughs> to be winned,
1: <laughs> to be
2: winned. we're so good at the words
0: <laughs> listen we just review the <laughs> literature we don't write it <laughs> exactly there's a reason
2: there's a reason we are not authors <laughs> now we know and uh, now we know <laughs> all right leah please okay. do a better job than i'm doing i will try my best <laughs> Leah, take us back to the road trip. <laughs> yes, let's get back on the road, everybody. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not fact checking. I'm sorry. We don't have time for okay. this. Read the book. So... <laughs> I just love books, you guys. Me too. I thought you.
0: <laughs> I thought you said "eh." I <laughs> was like, great. It's great yeah, for our listeners. All right. <laughs> books are
1: not okay. really. I'm more of a video game person. <laughs> I, I've been waiting to break this to everyone. I don't actually like books.
0: Oh my my oh deep dark
1: secret. Oh, anyway.
2: <laughs> all right, Leah. Tell them where our website is. Okay.
1: Our website is teamfriendshippodcast.com Thank you. (laughs) Do you want anything else? (laughs) It's dot org. (laughs)